good to be here this morning. Good to see everybody out. It's my prayer this morning that the things that I have studied will be beneficial to you as they have been to me. I want to, before we start, I want to make a, a clarifying statement or something. I was supposed to speak last Sunday, and uh, they bumped me for Lee, which I'm still hurt my feelings, but I understand, you know, all that. But he walked all over my lesson twice. And uh, with one week left to prepare and a lot of things going on, I've chose and opted to stay with what I had put together. So about a third of this lesson, you've heard some. I hope, hope to bring a little different spin on it, but I want you to know I didn't plagiarize off his lesson. We had a lot of the same thoughts. I, I told him after he, after he gave it, I said, man, I said, it's like you were sitting there beside me when you were working that up. And so again, I want you to know I didn't plagiarize off his lesson. Really, technically, I had it first. It's just they bumped me. So... With that being said, I want to talk about Abraham a little bit this morning. The text is going to come from several, couple of places in Genesis that we'll, we'll talk about. But I want to talk about the life of Abraham. And I want you to think about it as we go along, how Abraham's relationship was with God and what he did. You know, Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldees, which was in Mesopotamia at the time. And as he was there one day, about 70, when he was 75 years old, God spoke to him. He said, Abraham... I want you to pick up everything that you got. You pick up your tents, you pick up your flocks, you pick up your herds, you take your servants, and you take your, your wife. And he said, I want you to leave. I want you to get out of the house of your father. That's recorded in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 through 5. And he says, in doing so, he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He said, there will be lots of people. And he said, of you and of your line will all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's what he tells Abraham at 75. Now, I want you to think about that. He lived to be 175, so he's still not a young man at 75, right? Now, imagine, if you will, God just says, pick up everything that you got and start heading west. Okay, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. How many of us would want to start off that journey? How many of us would think, whoa, you know, 75 years old. It's basically, it's telling us, leave your house Leave everything that you've got and get in your RV and just start driving down the road, and I'll tell you when you get there. What kind of faith that that took in Abraham's part to listen to what God had to say and just pick up and leave? Well, now, we know that Abraham was a godly man, and he feared God, and he had faith in God. So he did that. God takes him out, and he shows him Canaan. But he says, it's not going to be yours quite yet. I want you to dwell in the land. I want you to live in your tents. I want you to graze off the land. But this land will not be yours, but I'm going to give it to your children some 400 years later. But I'm going to give it to you. And that was good enough for Abraham. And he did that. And he shows him. And shows him the promise. But then he goes even further. He says, when he was 99 years old, he says, guess what? You're going to get a son. Sarah's response, she laughed inside herself. But Abram said, okay, we're going to do that. And at 99 years old, he starts his family. And he gets a son. He gets the son of promise. Now, I know that, Isaac, or that uh, Esau, or Ishmael, there we go, I'll get the names right, was born before that, but that was not of the plan of God. That was the plan of man. That was the plan of Sarah and Abram trying to help God out. 
but he gets his son. And God blesses him with a son in Sarah. They waited 25 years from the time that they left till the time that then the promise was made till that they got their son. 25 years of wandering, 25 years of waiting for that great nation to start. And then one day, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, God comes to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac. And I want you to go into the mountains of Moriah. And I want you to take him with you. And on that mountain, I want you to sacrifice him to me. He said, I want you to kill him and burn him in the name of God. Now, I want, to, I want to clarify something here, you know, and a lot of people take this story and you hear historians talk about it and they say, well, you know, I just can't believe God would, would cause one of his followers or tell one of his followers to do that. And, and they go through there and they say, you know, as, as you look at the history that Isaac was never as close to Abraham after the event that happened and, and there was a rift there. Well, I'm here to tell you, I don't believe that. And I believe the Bible bears that out. But the fact is, he, he tells him, to go and sacrifice his son. And that wasn't a strange thing, as, as, as we know in that time. There was a lot of infant sacrifice in the Old Testament, in the Old World. And that wasn't, a, that wasn't strange to Abraham, because that was going on. Now, maybe it was, he, he wasn't involved in it, but he knew of it. But God's plan will become very evident in his care for mankind through this, in, in my belief, through this very act in which he commanded his son commanded Isaac to offer, or Abraham to offer Isaac. And as we know how that story goes, they travel on and they get to, the, they get to Mount Moriah and he tells the servant, he says, you stay here and wait with the animal. And he says, Isaac, you come with me. And he goes up to Mount Moriah and, and Isaac makes a statement on the way up. He says, Dad, he says, we have the fire and we have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And he says, son, God will provide the sacrifice. And they go a little further, and, and Abraham, build, Abraham builds the altar. And we know the Bible tells us in those verses there, said he bound Isaac, and he laid him on the altar. Now, going back to the point of, you know, them saying the rift between Abram and Isaac was great, I want to ask you something. Do you really think that a hundred-and-something-year-old man could overpower an 18- to 20-year-old person in their prime? No. I believe that Isaac was willing to lay his life down because his father was commanded to do so and to follow the will of God. I don't believe there was a rift there. But Abraham was willing to go through with that. And in doing so, he proved his faith to God. It proved he was willing to take the next step in what God wanted him to do. He had pulled him out of the land that, that he had been born in, the land of his fathers, the Bible says, and he had caused him to go into a foreign country, and then he had asked him to offer his son to God. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to take that step. And you know, the Bible tells us that he pulled back the knife and he raised his hand, and an angel of the Lord called unto him. He said, Abraham, stop. He said, I see that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And, the, and Abraham heard a commotion. He looked, and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And he offered that in, in the place of his son. That's very telling. See, the, the thing that God was trying to show is, through that, Abraham, I'm asking you to do this. And he stopped him from doing it 
But in doing so, he foreshadowed for us that God is not willing, that God is willing to do what he asks of us. He asked us to sacrifice our lives. He sacrificed his son for us. And as we go through that, that's what he proved us. And that's what it was there to show us. But Abraham in his faith and Isaac in his faith showed us how to take the next step. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about. Are we ready to take the next step? You know, I, I was talking to Emily as we were coming in to town or to, to church this morning, and I told her, I said, you know, you always get nervous right before you give the lesson. I do. And, and things that I've studied, I think, you know, what if this turns into a total mess? We all have that thought. But I told her, I said, you know what, this is not anything new that I'm going to talk about this morning. It's nothing new in the Bible, but it's, to me, it's things that I've, I've looked at and I need over and over again. I don't care. I'm 47 years old. Been a Christian for a long time. But I always have to go back to the basics. Seems like that's, that's where I go. Maybe I'm just a simple person. But, you know... Are we ready to take the next step? And it's just simple things, but it's things we got to do. Are we ready as Christians to walk with God? And that seems like a simple statement. But are we willing to do it? You know, the world tells us that we can reconcile the world and God all in one neat little package, and we can do what, the world, what, what basically Satan tells us we can do, and we can justify that with God. We see that in the religious world every day. Oh, it's okay. God's Word is, is, uh, is a changing and living document. It's different in those times. We need to adapt it to, to these times in order to, to get it and be modern and, and how we can live and, and be in this modern world. But that's not how it is. The Bible says Jesus Christ and His Word is the same today as it was yesterday. But we have to make a decision. Are we going to walk with God? Are we going to leave the world and leave our sin behind. Romans chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's turn over there and read that. Romans chapter 1, starting in, or excuse me, 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him with, by, by baptism into his death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and that henceforth we should not serve sin. You know, he just makes the statement there. He says, you know, if you're going to start your walk with Christ and if you're going to call yourself a Christian and you're going to obey that gospel, once you've done so, your old man is crucified. Now, what you think about that, we know what crucifixion is. Dee gave a very powerful lesson about crucifixion, what happened to Christ. That's what he is, the Bible is telling us there, that we have to crucify that old man. That doesn't mean, well, we'll just kind of put it over here in the closet and pick it up later. We have to kill it. We have to nail it to a cross. And it needs to be done away with. That's what he's saying is, 
crucify the old man. Shall we continue once we have tasted the riches of God? Shall we continue in sin that the grace of God may abound? Should we just say, well, we've got the grace of God, so we can do what we want to because the blood's going to cover us. That's not how it works. That's not what he's asking us to do. He asks us to crucify that old man and put him on the cross and be a new creature. Just as Jesus was raised with a heavenly body, that's what we're supposed to be in the likeness of Christ. When we enter into that water, we need to become a new creature, a new person. We were planted together in the likeness of his death. That's not a trivial thing. That's not a trivial example. He's asking for a sacrifice for us to nail that old man to the cross. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We read, it says, And as you know, we exhorted and comforted comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye should walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. I want to ask you something. Can you walk with somebody when they're in Oklahoma? Can you go on a physical walk with that person when they're not present with you? We can't, can we? So what do we think about our walk with God? We can't walk with God if we're not present. And I know that seems kind of like a, a strange statement, but the fact is God is always with us. God is everywhere. There's no place that we can go that we can't contact Him in prayer, that He can't have the power to impact our lives. There's nowhere we can be, but you know the, that, that we can hide from God. But when he talks about walking with God, we need to search out a relationship in which we actively seek the presence of God to walk in his paths, to walk in his judgments, to walk in his precepts, and to follow in his footsteps. You know, that we read that a lot of times, and I think, you know, I've read a lot of times, oh, walk with God, yeah, that's a good thing. Let's do we can't walk with God if we're not present. You know, I think, and I heard it, you know, we've all heard it a long, long time ago. I did. When I was very young, you know, the poem about the footprints in the sand. You know, in order, and, and, and if you're not familiar with it, I'll, I'll just briefly go over it. it. A guy dies and he goes to heaven and he sees the footprints of his life on a beach. And there's two sets. And then sometimes there's just one set. And then it goes back to two sets, and then it goes back to one set. And, and he gets up there, and he asks Jesus the question. He said, you know, I see the tracks of my life. Why are there times that I was walking by myself? And the poem says, or the statement says, you weren't walking by yourself. I was carrying you. You know, that's a walk with God. And if we want God to be there to help us and carry us through those times, we have to be present and be there. And we have to walk with him. You know, if we're going to take the next step, we've got to put our faith in God and in Christ. You know, the human condition is a funny thing. 
we will all sit here and we'll, as a collective group, and I'm not saying the church, I'm just saying as humans in, the, in, in, in a group together, we will sit and we will put our, our belief in guys like Charles Darwin. We'll put our belief in people like Oprah Winfrey, and, and you can go on and on, the president, senator, lawyer, whatever you want to call it. You know, we put so much faith in these fallible, breakable, broken people. But then we'll turn right around and go, God, I just don't know that I think I can let you control or, or be in control of my life. Or we doubt that God's going to be there for us. Or we doubt that he can help us in our problems. Or we doubt that he can forgive our sins or that he will forgive our sins or that we're forgivable. But yet we'll turn around and believe our fellow man that ain't got any better sense than you and I do. But we'll put our trust in him but we won't put our trust in the creator of the universe and the savior of mankind to be there and do what they say they're going to do when they say over and over in their word and in the Bible that we will be there for you. And I sit and struggle with letting them be in control. Isn't that, isn't that an, a, a funny thing? But I do it every day. It's so hard to turn that control over and to put our trust in them. But they, they tell us they'll be there. You know, turn over to Luke chapter, chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Luke chapter 12, verses uh, 29 through 31. It says, And seek ye not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, Neither be ye of a doubtful mind, for all these things do the, na do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that, ye ha what, knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to, unto you. Those are the direct words quoted from Jesus Christ himself. The Son of God, he was there in creation. You and I were made after his image. And he said... Don't worry about those things. He said, if you'll worry about following me, if you'll worry about pleasing God, if you will worry about following my commandments, all these things will work out. And I want to put something to you this morning. We're all sitting here and we've all been through trouble. How many of us, when we've truly looked back on those troubles and we have served God, can we not see what God has done for us? Even if we're in the middle of the trouble, you know, there's always somebody that comes in and says, are you okay? Can I pray for you? Brother, I love you. We're there for you. They bring you food. They bring you whatever that may be. That's the hand of God working in our lives through our brothers and sisters, through the things that he has set for us. You know, my mother, many times when I've been through trouble and I've talked to her and you know said you know things you know it's it's dark I don't know what's going to happen I don't know how this is going to end what what's going to happen and she's told me many a times she said I've been here for 82 83 years and he's always taken care of me no matter what happened and I've always come out we've always come out on the other side and you know when we look back at that God is there God is there to help us we just have to put our faith in him and put our walk in the right path, not on the paths of the world, but on God's path. We have to, we have to put our faith in him. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12. It says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You know, that's a, that's a very powerful verse to me. You know, the statement is just made. This is, this is uh, Paul writing to Timothy. This is one of the, the guys that we all look to and go, man, if I, could, if I could be anybody, I'd like to be like Paul in his fervor and his desire to follow God, the things that he went through, the beatings that he endured. You know what he said when it was all said and done? Everything that he saw, he said, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. He is, he's not just on the fence. He's not just thinking, My, maybe this is something that's going to work out. He says, I'm persuaded. I am for sure and totally all in that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. And what is that? That's our very soul. And if our very soul is important to God, why would not the things we go through be important to God? Why does he talk about loving our brothers, loving those around us? He wants us to love them, but you can't help people you don't love. You can't be helped by people that don't love you. Not in the way we need it as Christians a lot of times. But that's what he's saying. He said, I know whom I've believed. And that's something to me that's very powerful because he saw it all. He eventually died for the gospel. And he said, I'm willing to do it. He was willing to take the next step. We have to ask ourselves, are we? And I have to ask myself that a lot of times on a daily basis. Get your, get your life together. Pull things together and keep walking. Start walking. Walk better. But we got to keep walking. And we got to believe and we got to put our faith in Him. And you know, inevitably, when we talk about walking with God, we got to talk about working and growing. You know, John chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, Work while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. You know, He's just saying there, don't worry about when you retire. Don't worry about five years from now. Don't worry about what you didn't do in the past, but start right now. Work. Grow. Start it now. While it's daylight, not, not when it's not night and you're sleeping, go, man, well, I wished I could have done that. You know, we're not promised that we're going to get to retire. I say it a lot. I'm not promised that I'm going to get to walk off this stage before this church service is over. We have to do it now while it's day, while it's night hand. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, when we talk about working. Well, before we go there, you know, I just want to ask, what are we doing? What are we doing for God's kingdom? What are we doing for the church? What are we doing for ourselves? You know, for, the church, for this church to be here in 10, 15 years, let's say 20. Let's, let's knock off some of the old ones, some of us that are going to be really old, that are middle-aged right now. What's going to happen to this church? Do we have people that want to work? Do we have people that want to go out and have studies? Do we have people that want to be in charge of services? Because, you know, that's the danger in a congregation. If we don't work, if we don't put all, if all of us, young people, old people included, if we don't work, this is all going to dry up and blow away. 
Because we're just, it's like it's been said before, every church is one generation away from failing. If the generation doesn't start working that's coming up, this church won't be here. So I ask yourself, what kind of commitment do you want from your life at church? Do you want to be a person that's involved? Because, you know, a church full of people that don't want to do anything, that want to sit on pews, there's not going to be a church there very long. And, you know, that's where we've been lucky in this church. Or, and I'm going to say lucky, I'm going to say blessed, not lucky. Because we've had generations. We didn't have generations of pew setters. We had generations of workers, and we have generations of workers now. And I'm not trying to say that we're not working. Don't take, don't take me what I'm saying there. We've got a wonderful congregation, but it's just one generation away from us deciding not to work, for this not to be here, for, our, for my grandkids not to ever know that Plainview existed, my great-grandkids. What kind of Christian do we want to be? Do we want to be a pew setter or do we want to be a worker? And we need to know our talents, and we need to work, and we need to grow. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul addresses this to the, to the Hebrews uh, in the book, in the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews 5 and verse 12. I apologize, I have just been fighting the pages this morning and I'm sorry, but for when the time, for, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You know, he's saying right there, he said, you know, there was a time that I came and I spoke to you guys and I brought you the gospel because you weren't Christians. You were, you were, you were without God. But he said, I gave you the gospel, I gave you the tools, I told you what you needed to do, and now I've come back and guess what? You're still where you were. You hadn't grown. He said, I need to be talking to you about the meat of the word, and you're over here. I'm needing to spoon-feed you the little things and the first principles again. You know, that's what Paul said about people not growing and not working. You know, and that's what we have to do. You know, we're, everybody we talk about is on a different level. You know, and it, and it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you've come from, the fact is, is that you're on a journey. You know, me and, and somebody else may not be on the same level, but that's okay. You know, me and, me and Hugh may not be on the same level as far as the things that he understands versus the things that I discern in things. Maybe he's ahead in some areas, maybe I'm behind, maybe and vice versa. But the fact is, that's not the point. That's why he says, you know, there is no ruling class in the church, if you will. That's why he says everybody's important because, you know, whether you're the babe or you're the, the biblical scholar in the congregation, we're all important. But the fact is, the journey and the struggle and the learning is what he expects from us. He doesn't expect perfection. He doesn't expect 100% total knowledge. He expects us to fight and he expects us to grow and he expects us to be better in the future than we have in the past. That's how we grow as Christians. And you know, a lot of people get daunted by the fact, you know, I just don't, you know, I just don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't understand as much as everybody else, and they get bogged down in that, but that doesn't matter. He wants us to grow. He wants us to love him, and he wants us to follow him.
You know, my next point, this is the one, this is, is going to be the repeat for you. Apologize. But you know, God called Abraham to sacrifice his son. And I got a newsflash for you. God's calling you to sacrifice your children. Not on an altar of fire, not to be stabbed in the heart, but he's asking for our children. And, and it, like was said, there's two things you're going to sacrifice your child to. You're either going to sacrifice them to the world, or you can sacrifice them to a loving, benevolent God that wants the best for them and wants a good life for them. Or the other guy, he wants their life of destruction, he wants their soul, and he wants them to be separated from their creator. And that's the two choices you got. It's not any different from us. we got two choices. We can serve God or we can serve man or we can serve the devil. But it's the same with our children. So I ask us this morning, and I, you know, I want to preface this. I don't think this congregation has a problem raising children. Goodness knows we've got about a thousand of them in the congregation, and that's good. But, you know, I, I don't want to say to the young parents that are listening that I think that you're doing a bad job or that you're weak in what you're doing. That's not what I'm saying. I've been a parent, and I speak from what little experience I've had with three children, that we need to hear it. Because you know what? We get tired, and we get lazy, and we can slack off. So I ask you this morning, you know, Genesis 18. Let's turn over there and read that because that's, that's a, a really good verse. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, verses 19. This is talking about when God uh, comes to tell uh, Abraham that he's going to destroy uh, Sodom. And this is God makes the comment, says, For I know him, speaking of Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abram, Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And he makes a statement. And before that, he says, shall I hide the thing that I'm going to do, destroying Sodom from Abraham? And then he makes this statement because he said, I know he's the type of guy that's going to teach his kids, and he's going to teach his, those that come after him the ways of God and how to keep those commandments. I'm going to ask you something. That's a really neat statement for God to say about somebody, isn't it? I think it is. It's really neat. You know, God said, I knew this guy, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to raise, his good, raise good kids. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, if God has blessed you with a child you have the opportunity for him to say, I know them, and they're going to raise a good child, and they're going to raise good grandkids. And I want us to think about that. God wants us to teach our children his ways so that he can save them and that he can love them and they can live with him in heaven. But you know, all too often we get caught up in what the world says. Oh, well, you know, look, we just, we just have to be careful with our delicate psyche. We can't, uh, we can't tell them no. We can't correct them. You know, you just got to let them do what they want. You can't give them any kind of instruction because you're going to mess them up. I'm going to tell you, the Bible says a child left to himself will bring his mother to shame. And you don't believe me, you look around at, at all of these defunct families that are dysfunctional because of all the things that they have listened to in the world and you'll see a broken home with children running the roost and it's chaos. They respect nothing. They don't even respect the man with the badge and the gun. I stand right up to them and you can't tell me what to do. 
I promise you our kids are going to run into somebody someday that they will do what they say. And they may not like it. And that's up to us to teach our children the things that, we should, that God wants them to know. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 is read a lot. It says, teach your children when you rise up, when you lie down, when you're on your, the way to town, when you're on the way home. Every opportunity, parents, we have to teach those children. Because you have those children, what, you have them, I mean, if they're in, in public school, you know, you send them to school at 8 o'clock in the morning, 7.30, and they're back by 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and they're gone that whole time. And you know what? You know, you as parents know uh, better than most of us what trash is being taught in a lot of these public schools. Critical race theory, gender studies, all the things, you know, you, you know, Settle on what you want to be later in life or whatever, you know, you're, it's not gender is fluid, all that stuff. If they're teaching that, what are you teaching them when they get home? And I'm going to ask you something. If you don't equip them with armor and with the weapons of God to, def to defend that, what are we doing? We just served them up on those molten arms of Molech, didn't we? We just offered them up to the world. You know, I want to bring something up. You know, we think that we're so evolved as a human species. You know, we just like, we say, well, you know, this child sacrifice thing. You know, it's, we just don't do that anymore. I'm here to tell you, we sacrifice children every day in the name of a religion. And it's called my body, my choice, pro-choice. Or any other of those names that you want to put on it. You don't think that we're not. You look at the statistics of how many children are being killed and murdered in this country. And we have mothers that will go out and they will stand in the streets and they'll scream and holler and, for, and fight and scream for the right to kill their children. And we look at that and we say, we are advanced as a society. It's a shameful thing. Mothers screaming for the right to kill their children. Begging for it. We're a enlightened, enlightened society, aren't we? That's why we've got to teach God's Word. That's why we've got to see our children as precious. Because we don't want to offer them up on the altar of Satan. We want, to, we want to offer them up to God because he's the one that will take care of them and he'll love them and we'll see them in heaven. And it'll make our families and our churches strong. Teach your children. Dedicate your children to God just like Hannah did Samuel. You know, that was one thing that, in that story that always impressed me. Hannah went, and she wanted a child so bad that she was praying, and she was praying so hard that her lips were moving, and she was, she was speaking her prayer to God. And they come in, and they said, this woman must be drunk. Look at her. She's crazy. She's, pray she's just mumbling, mumbling. No, she was praying hard. Emily has a sign or a, a plaque in the house that says, uh, I'm not lucky. That I have good kids. Something to this of I can't remember it exactly now that I'm under pressure. But, you know, it says, uh, I'm not lucky. I just prayed really hard. And it was, it's talking about kids. I totally butchered that, and I'm sorry. But that's the, the, point of, the point of that is, you know, Lee said it. 
Don't say you're lucky when you have good kids because luck doesn't factor in. You tried. You tried. And that's, that's what we have to do. We have to dedicate them. And that's what Hannah did. She was praying so hard. She wanted a child so bad that she, like, he, like, like we go back to what Lee was talking about, he, she didn't have him very long and she offered him back to God. Are we offering our children back to God? He gave them to us. And, and guys, if you don't know this already, I'm going to tell you. You don't own them. You get to, you lease them for about 18 years. And then they become their own people. Make them people for God. Make them people that's going to make the church stronger. Make them people that's going to love God and that's going to further his kingdom. Don't offer them up to the arms of Satan. Offer them to God. And this one's a tough one for me. Are we willing to take the next step when it comes to the storms in our lives? You know, when we look around in the world, you know, they like to tell us, you know, that it really doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. That's just kind of a relative term. There's not a, you know, God's not real. Jesus was just a good man. They can't deny that he existed. But he was just a good man. He really wasn't a prophet. And, you know, they make statements like, you know, well, if God was such real, why do good things happen? Or bad things happen to good people. I don't know that I could serve a God that would cause humans to suffer. I, I just don't know that I could do it. We hear those things all the time, and it's just cringy to even say it. But you know what? Storms are going to come whether we serve God or not. And that's very evident. You just look around. You look at Hollywood, anybody you know, that, that likes to think they're enlightened and above God, they have problems. We have problems. And, you know, that's another thing. God, you know, we, we see a lot of things that people say, uh, especially these, you know, the prosperity doctrine. You know, if you'll just follow God and if you'll put, your, put, put yourself in step with God, all these things are going to happen to you that are good and you'll never have any problems. That's not a biblical concept. The Son of God, as he lived on this earth, lived every day for 33 years knowing what kind of death he would suffer. He had ups, he had downs, he laughed, he cried. Why should we be any different? Job chapter 14 verse 1 says, Man born of a woman is but a few days and full of trouble. Now life's not horrible, but there's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be times that are flat, miserable. You don't have to go very far to talk to people. And you know what? You can either be miserable with God or you can be miserable without Him. But I'm going to tell you, with Him, it's still better. Because in the midst of the misery, there's still peace. There's peace from God. And there's peace from your brothers and sisters who are there to help us. Matthew chapter 4, verses 37 through 40, it's the, it's the story of the apostles in the boat with Jesus. And the waves are going, and, and it's, it's looking bad. They've been with Jesus, I don't know how many years at this time, but they've been with him a while. They know what he can do. And they're scared to death because they're afraid they're going to drown. And where's Jesus? He's in the bottom of the, sheep's, uh, uh, bottom of the boat sleeping. And they come to him, they said, Don't you care that we're fixing to die? And he gets up and he goes up, to the bow of the boat and he says peace be still and the wind quit 
You know, see, the problem was they weren't thinking spiritually. They were thinking about the carnal side, right? Oh, we're going to die. We're going to drown. And, you know, the whole time they're standing on the boat with the Son of God that they've known what he would do. But their carnal mind, right? The carnal mind was in, and they were worried about the storm. But the fact is, if we will put our faith in God and put our faith in Jesus... There's not any storm that we, can we-, we can't weather. And you know what? We have to weather that storm with him because without him, I can't imagine the cost and the emotional toll that that would take on us facing life without Jesus. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people face life without Christ. It's a very bleak and very sad existence. We don't have to look very far to see what life is like without Christ. Are we willing to help others? I think everybody, as we look at this, we're ready to sign on for that one. I know when I, when I was thinking about this, that was my first thought. Are we willing to help others? Yes. I decided a long time ago when I was a young man that if I was going to go and do things for the church, I wanted to be there for people. I really did, and I really do. I want to be there for people when they have problems. The Bible has verses like Galatians 6, verses 1 through 2, says, bear you one another's burdens, and we do that, right? We want to be that pe- those people. But you know, there's another side to that coin that I had trouble with. Is you know what, if we're going to be the type of people that want to help other people and love other people, and we need to do that, We also need to be the one that's willing to be helped. And therein lies the trouble a lot of times, especially was for me. Because, see, we get a little pride in our lives. Well, I want to help people, but I'm okay. I don't need help because, you know, I don't don't really want to, you know, I don't want to share my problems. I, I think I'll just back off from that. That's not how Christianity works, people. And if you don't, have that peace in your life, you've got a big piece missing. And it took me a long time to get to realize that. I always knew it in theory, but to put it in practice. And I'll tell you what, to receive help a lot of times, that's a big dent to the pride. But you know what? We as Christians don't need that. We don't need pride. We need love and we need each other. And I'm going to tell you, that's why God gave us brothers and sisters in Christ, is to handle the storms of life. Case in point, I'm just going to ask you something. Let's, has it, if maybe it's happened to you, I don't know. You ever been in a bad spot? Mine's not right, whatever. You're, you're struggling, sad, loss of someone. You, you, you know the scenario in your life. and You, know, not, you don't say anything. But somebody just out of the blue comes up and says, are you all right? Are you okay? Is there something I can do for you? Or just, hey, I love you. That's the kind of things that we need. And we need to be willing to do and we need to be able to receive. This old mindset of, you know, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to do what the Bible says. It says, you know, that talks about... uh, uh, confessing our faults one to another. I don't want to do that because I really don't want to air my dirty linens in public. That was a, that was a saying. You know, I don't want to tell people what's going on in my life because, you know, I don't, 
It's not what the Bible says. We need that. We need to get over that old mindset that we can't share with our brothers and sisters our struggles. We have to. It makes us stronger. You know, that, that's the thing I've always, uh, that I come to realize in my life. When you talk to somebody, whether it's sin, whether it's a struggle that you're having, maybe it, it may not be sin at all for you to go to your brother or your sister and say, I'm struggling today. We need that. And, you know, I come to the realization that if we'll, if we'll tell someone what's going on in our lives, good or bad, that we take the power away from our mind and we take the power away from Satan to use that against us. Because you know what? When we voice it, it's out there. He can't use he. It's not blackmail anymore because somebody knows, right? We have to be willing to share with others. Romans 12, verses 15 through 16 says, Weep with them that weep and rejoice with them that rejoice. That's our whole job, guys. It doesn't say that we got to beat somebody down when they have a problem. It doesn't say that we need to punish them because we're somehow God's instrument here on this earth to do that. It says love them, let them know that it wasn't right, but in a loving way. And you know, most of the time if somebody comes to you with a problem and they say, hey, look, I've done this and it's wrong. They don't need you to punish them. They need you to tell them, I love you. Let's Get in God's Word. Let's see what He wants us to do in our life, and let's see how we can get back on the right path. That's all you're obligated to do, not to give the person a beating. Not to correct them, judge them. We need to love them, show them what God's Word has to say, and then support them through their struggles. Nowhere does it say that we are authorized to give them a beating because if we don't, somehow we're condoning it. Jesus didn't do it, so why should we? I'm not saying we shouldn't call sin sin. That's not what I'm saying. We've got to love people. So I ask you this morning, you go back and you look at this, are we willing to take the next step? You know, we looked at Abraham, we looked at his life, and we went through some of these. Uh, just, like I said, nothing new. But it's things that I struggle with. It's things that I, that's been on my mind. And I hope it's been beneficial to you this morning. I don't know the hearts and minds of the, of the people in the congregation. If there's one here that has not obeyed the gospel, I beg you, don't wait. We are not in a hurry. We got all the time we need. Don't leave here if your life's not right with Christ. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, we have water in the back. We have clothes in the back. The water's warm. We're here to help you. If you are a Christian whether you have sin in your life, things that you won't take, and whether you just need help. You know, that's coming to the front doesn't mean that you have sin in your life always. Sometimes you just need help in life. Don't wait. As I said, I'm not promised that we're going to walk out these doors. If there's one of either class, we ask you to come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.